Welcome back to the Pain Cave for our continuing conversation on our favorite books about running. If you missed part one, please go back and check it out. I've been talking with my good friend Joe Paleo about our favorite books on running in multiple different categories, and we're going to continue our conversation now. So let's get back into it with Joe Paleo. Okay, so I had I actually had that as my number one in the uh, kind of autobiography or memoir category. Okay. Uh, so yeah. I'll give you I'll give you the next one I had there was a book called Why We Run by Bernd Heinrich. Uh, I've who, heard of it, but I don't know it. So it's uh, Bernd Heinrich was a, a biologist. A, um, I think it was like a, a comparative anatomy professor or something like that. Okay. And but also was a an ultra marathoner in the seventies and eighties. And okay. uh, this book is, it's, it's a part kind of musings on comparative anatomy and, and looking at different parts of, uh, you know, anatomy from different animals that are adapted for their particular movements and kind of comparing that to, uh, to uh, people and, and their running. So it's, it's kind of half that and it's half him recounting his buildup for the 50 mile national championships in it was somewhere around 1980 or 82, uh, which he wound up winning uh, against a heavily favored Barney Klecker and I think breaking the American record at the time. Uh, he was one of the first guys under five hours for, for 50 miles, uh, if I'm remembering the time correctly. It's been a while since I read it, but a really, a really good book um, if you're interested in science at all and uh, ultra running. Which is, I'm not necessarily interested in ultra running, but I'm interested in science. Yeah, you might like it. You might like it. <laughs> Now, I always tease you about the ultra running stuff. You know, you, kn- right. you know, <laughs> you know that I coach people that do this, but I, it's, I just look at it. It's, it's a, I, I, yeah, I have to, because uh, Jorge's gonna Jorge's gonna run um, Western States. He was gonna this year, yeah, and then with the postpone. So you know, we were gearing up, and I was gearing up my ability to coach someone who could compete to be pretty high up at Western States. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. I'm gonna be calling you for more information as we get closer cool cool um so this is i'm gonna throw you a curveball okay um i don't mean to disparage anyone's memoirs or anything but uh my favorite in this category Mm -hmm. isn't actually not a really a running book it's a swimming book um chasing water by anthony irvin who won the olympic gold medal last olympics in the 50 i think the fastest swimmer in the world but um he had been an incredible swimmer like 15 years before that or at London or won some medal. And then his life just went in the, it tanked, huh. uh, smoked a ton of weed, didn't do shit laid around, like basically was a disaster and then pulled his life back together. Now, I mean, a disaster on the surface because underlying all this, I think the guy has some fortitude and some just he's it's just a really neat story and he's very open about making a lot of mistakes in the way he dealt with people and where his head was but he wrote it with um a co-writer and together they really nailed it i thought it was it was it was compelling to me um he's also has a lot of tattoos which is right up my alley so um, i thought it was i thought it was i really super liked it and i hate to include that because we're not dealing with you know, multi-sports, but I think it's anyone who was interested in running probably can get some value out of it. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I have two more in this category that we can touch on quickly. I think most people are probably familiar with them. One is a book called North 
by Scott and Jenny yeah. Jurek, which is yeah. their account of Scott's record-breaking run on the Appalachian Trail. Just a, yeah. it's you know it, it's really it's well done. It's you know they're they're fairly open about you know the struggles that they had and some of the the you know the highs and the lows out there. And I, I did I, I actually really enjoyed what Jenny you know the the parts of the chapters that Jenny was writing about you know how difficult it was for her long days, you know, where she only saw Scott for a little while and some of the struggles that she had dealing with, you know, well-meaning people who were, you know, out there trying to help or either people that they knew or people that they didn't know or, and, you know, how that was in many ways uplifting, but in, in other ways was, was really a drain on her and, and, um, you know, at, at times a real problem. So I enjoyed that one. The other one that I wanted to touch on is Roger Bannister's autobiography, The Four Minute Mile. Yep. Which, uh, you know, he's just a brilliant guy, obviously, or was, yeah. you know, and as, as I was saying during when we when we were discussing the perfect mile, you know, Landy was the one for whom I think the running the, the breaking the four minute barrier was kind of a life or death thing. And Bannister, I think it was just something he did. I mean, he certainly enjoyed it and uh, he certainly had goals and, and worked hard and strove and yeah, was, you know, he was doing some early interval training as well. I mean, this was obviously right around the, the time of uh, Zadipak or just after. But, you know, he, he was, he, he really was committed to the ideal of the amateur athlete and, and being a, a well-rounded, you know, very British uh, ideal of, of being well-rounded and being well-studied and, and not putting too much emphasis on, you know, athletics, which I guess was seen as somewhat frivolous in a way. And it was just interesting to hear him coming from that perspective. So I think as a medical doctor, you'll appreciate this. So he treated running under four minutes as an experiment. He right. just created a hypothesis and then tested the hypothesis, went back and retested. And he just he just did it until he got it right. right. <laughs> like, I mean, it was basically I agree with you, Landy. It was like an emotion. It was sort of um, it was that weird dialectic where, where Landy was an emotional pursuit. Right. And for Bannister, it was a mind pursuit. Right. It was like, Very how clinical. do I use my, how do I use my brain to solve this problem? Right. Right. Yep. Agree with you hundred percent. So in my categories, I have, um, uh, let your mind run by Dina Castor. Oh, nice. Yeah. So great book. Um, so Dina was great when she was young. Um, I think she won Foot Locker, but even before that, she was great. Right. Um, she went to Arkansas, a lot of injuries, um, just didn't quite figure it out at the level she was capable of, despite running at times very well. She, Her career was probably less than it could have been. And then um, she left when she graduated. She really didn't know what she wanted to do, but she ended up contacting Coach uh, V. Hill. Uh, in Colorado and then went out there and trained and then the rest is history. Right. Um, and that dovetails with uh, another book that I have um, with Coach Veal. But um, it's a great book. A lot of talk about baking. She seemed to bake a lot. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so she after Coach Veal retired from coaching her, Terrence Mahan coached her. And Terrence and I worked together in the mid-'90s. So there's some connection there. And I, you know, have thoughts about Terrence's coaching. And I still have a, actually a connection with Terrence due to uh, some athletes that he's worked with that I work with. So it's kind of – um, it really, like, I sort of understood it. I knew all the people that were involved in the stories. And, um, Jay, do you remember Mike McKeeman? No. So Mike worked for me at the Jenkintown Running Company. I, I hired Mike the summers when he was at UNC. That was, that was before the, I met you. I didn't know you when you were at Jenkintown. 
Okay, so Mike ended up becoming Dina's training partner and paced her, I think, at London. Oh, okay. When she set the record, um, the American record. Right. Um, yeah, so Mike ended up being an integral part of her story, um, and he's from he's from up this way. Real nice guy. Nice, nice. Yeah, so it was like a, I felt like there was some connection to the story. Okay. And then the one I have not read yet but is on my list to read is the, uh, the story uh, Running for My Life. Uh, one uh, one lost boy's journey from the killing fields of Sudan to the Olympic Games by Lopez Lamont. Oh, nice. So a friend of mine who ended up meeting Lopez, I think, in Japan um, and l- thought he was like the best guy ever and was like, you need to read this book. So I have it on my list of things to read. OK, yeah, I haven't read it either, but a big Lopez Lamont fan. That's a great story. So. Yeah, plus he's ridiculously good. I mean, to be able to close in like 54 seconds, 55 seconds, and at 10,000 off of, not that 29 minutes is fast for them, but to be able to close off of like a 28, 30 pace is ridiculous. All right, so let's move from uh, memoir, autobiography to just uh, biographies. I have three or four in this category that I wanted to touch on. The first one, I'll go in... I'll go in reverse order. I'll go, I have four on my list here. Number four is uh, Bowerman and the Men of Oregon by Kenny Moore. You got it. It's on my list. Yeah, that's a, it's a cool story. It's, it's fairly yeah. wide-reaching or wide-ranging, I should say. covers a, a pretty, I would say probably about a 30-year period of time. But, um, you know, it chronicles not only Bowerman and his coaching and, and, you know, all the famous characters that passed through the Oregon cross-country and track teams in the 60s and 70s, but also, you know, his... Uh, experimentation with shoe technology and and how that led to kind of the founding of Nike with Phil Knight, one of his former athletes. And Kenny Moore, who was also one of his athletes and an Olympic marathoner himself, is was a longtime writer for Sports Illustrated, really good, really good sports writer. And and uh, it's a it's a it's a long book, but it's a page turner. I like that a lot. Yep, my son Gabe is reading it. I gave it to him a while ago and he's he's working his way through it. He likes it. That's great. Uh, what do you got? What's your first one here? So mine was um, a, another Scott York, uh, Eat and Run. Oh, yeah, sure. So I, this is my first real introduction. You know, clearly, I knew how good he was as an ultra runner. Um, and I read the book. I do have a little nit, nitpicking here. So it just seems like he's hyper-analyzing his own existence, which clearly in an autobiography or this type of book, you do that. You're the subject. Right. But it almost got to the point where I'm like, dude, you need to get out of your own head. <laughs> but I think that's probably who he is. I think, I think that uh, having, right, having read this, having read North, I think that is probably right, which is really interesting because, you know, as a, as a personality in the sport, as a, kind of an ambassador for the sport, uh, he's really well known for being very approachable and very personable. And, you know, one of the guys, like, I, I've met him a couple times. I, I was working uh, medical at Western States when he won his last States in 2005. So I met him there, and, and um, I had helped him out at the finish line in the medical tent. And then I had asked him for, you know, I said, I, I want to sign your program, or I want you to sign my program. And, and, like, he found me during the award ceremony the next day. He's like, hey, I still have to sign your program. I'm like, holy crap. Like, he, he's that kind of guy who you know, well-known for sticking around to until yeah. the last finisher comes through and that sort of thing, which, you know, as an introvert myself and somebody who relates to kind of living in your own head, that's like the, the thought of going the other way and just being so out there and approachable is like an anathema to me. 
Um, so it, it is really interesting that I think he is he has those tendencies, but at the same time, he can be like really open and, and welcoming to people. I mean, the, the whole thing with his his Appalachian Trail record run was, you know, it was kind of the one of the first ones of these that, uh, you know, had this kind of online presence and was really being very followed, cl- uh, closely followed uh, and tracked by a lot of random people. And, you know, these folks would just start showing up and bring him food and running right, with him for, right. a, you know, time. And to me, like looking at that from afar, I'm like, that must be fucking exhausting having all these people come out and, you know, like the people that you don't know who, yeah, they're there to help you. But at the same time, emotionally, they they are getting something out of it. And that's got to drain something from you because you have to give back to them for them to feel fulfilled. And to me, I could never have dealt with something like that when trying to go through something as grueling and, and you know, introspective as, as doing the AT. But he seemed to thrive off of it, which, it, which is crazy. So I digress here. But what you brought up made me think of something. Have you watched the Showtime series show called um, Kidding with Jim Carrey? No. I recommend it highly. I'll have to, I'll have to get um, so Showtime then. It's a certain personality type who's put in the public eye. Right. You may okay. be able to – I think you can get it on Netflix. Okay. I recommend it highly. It it blew me away, like the psychology behind it. I mean I like him as a, as not just a comedian but as a thinker. Um, he's mildly like um, kind of insidious in the way he undermines our ways of looking at things. And I thought the show was phenomenal. And I think that you captured that in your description of that. It's this weird dialectic. You're an introvert. Right. Yet you're thrust in the public eye and everybody wants a piece of you assuming that you're going to be like an extrovert, (laughs) you know? And like, no, just because I'm really good at something that has been made public doesn't mean that that is how I'm where I'm comfortable. Right. Right. But it's a weird it's so the whole thing is contradictory. If you don't want the publicity, don't publicize it. Just run the Appalachian Trail. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like who gives a shit if you publicize? Just go do it and right. you tell people oh, I did it. You know, whatever. Just take a video on the first day, take a video on the last day and every day and if anybody needs supporting evidence, you have it. Right. But when you put it out in the public eye, are you really courting that? I don't understand. I don't know. This is a weird place with having your own brand and all that bullshit. Um, right. Well, and I, don't, I don't understand it. It's like McDougal. Like he has his own brand, right? He's really not a runner per se, but he does run and running has changed his life. Right. But he's really just, a, he's really a journalist, not just a journalist. He's a journalist. Right. Right. Well, and, but, and yet I mean, we've let him into our club. Yes. Well, and Scott made his living, makes his living and made his living off of his running and, and his personality. I mean, so, yes. right. I mean, I think, that was a natural thing for him to do was to not necessarily to monetize it, but at least to put it out there publicly. So we don't know. So maybe it is to monetize it. Like we, we ascribe certain qualities to our heroes. Right. So in, in our world, you don't want to ever ascribe to that person. And I'm not saying he's like this, but we don't ever want to ascribe to our heroes that they're there to make money. You know, like Carl Lewis is very clear. I don't really care if you don't pay me, I'm not showing up. Right. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like you don't pay me what I want. I'm not showing up. You may pay me only to show up, but I'm not going to race. Right. You know what I mean? Like he had layers of how much money he would get and what <laughs> right. he would do. So, but he was, you know, it's Carl Lewis. He clearly, this is who I am. Right. But we would never think like some 
you know, someone else that we just admire so much really negotiated the hell out of their appearance fees. Right. Like we would, we want to thank Meb and I don't know this at all. We want to thank Meb is the best human being on the face of the earth. And he just does things out of the kindness of his heart. But we also know that Meb gets appearance fees from Boston, not only just to, to show run up. the race, right. to show up. Just to, right. To, just to and, ha- and we're not talking like 50 K we're talking hundreds of K. Right. Right. So, you know, that's the thing is, would Meb be Meb? I don't know. I mean, or is he getting what he's getting because he is Meb? Right. So it's the chicken in the egg. Right, I don't exactly. know. I love, I love thinking, and that's what I love about, like, people who are provocative in the way they don't accept the topical narrative. And they, like Jim Carrey, like I was mentioning, they want to sort of go underneath and flip a bunch of things upside down, deconstruct some ideas we have, and see if things still stand after that. Right. Right. He's an anti-vaxxer, though. Is he currently? I, I don't know. know. He was I know, I know he was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But, you know, like, I think he would point out everybody changes and evolves, and he's big on evolving. Okay. I mean, they, he, for a while, he used to draw those, like, brutal caricatures artistically of Trump, and uh, he just moved off of it. He doesn't do it anymore. He right. Just, boom, he's done. Moved on to whatever the thing that caught his attention next. But the weirdest part is, Jade, the Dalai Lama made an appearance on the on the show. Really? Twice. Oh, my I've God. Two episodes. He probably only did one shoot and they, right, and they split episodes. up. Yeah. Yes. But like you. So you got some juice if you're getting the Dalai Lama on your, <laughs> on your show. All right. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Okay. The next one I have in the bio category is a book I'm, you're probably familiar with called Pre by Tom Jordan, yep. who wrote uh, for Track and Field News for a long time. I, I talked about this when we talked about Fire on the Track during yep. the, um, the movie podcast. Is I mean... It's not, I mean, from a storytelling perspective, who knows, it's it's really, it, it is more just a work of journalism and kind of, uh, you know, review of, of historical events. But uh, as a somebody who loved Pre growing up and, um, you know, admired his spirit and everything, it's, it's, a, it's a fun book. And it's, it's pretty short. You can go through it pretty quick. Have you ever been to Coos Bay? I haven't, no. Dude, it is the weirdest energy I've ever experienced. So Gabe and I were at USA's in 2015, my son Gabe. Yeah. And um, there's a one day, I guess Tim had an off day or whatever it was. We drove from Hayward Field to Coos Bay. Hayward was 94 degrees and sunny. We get to Coos Bay. It's like 52 degrees, cloudy, <laughs> Overcast, yeah. windy, and miserable. And we drove into town and Gabe and I looked at each other and we're like, Yo, this is a really weird place. Oh yeah, yeah. It was I, a I mean, weird place. Like it's super, like a depressed old fishing town. Um, it was just. It was really sad. It was a sad place. No, I don't mean the. It looked sad. I mean, you know, it looked like a town on on the water. Right. But it was. It just had this overwhelming it was behind the times and it was sad yeah and really strange energy so i don't know if you pick up on stuff like that but when i go to tucson i get totally freaked out energy it's like all the minerals out there it's crazy like (laughs) tucson is the weirdest place in the world for me because there's all these strange currents but like coos bay was uniformly sad huh okay i I can i can see it based on descriptions i've read for sure okay yeah. yeah, so they got it right, which is also one of my favorite books ever written was uh, Ken Kesey's uh, uh, some, uh, some t- Sometimes a Great, a great notion. notion. That's a great Sometimes book. a Great Notion. Uh, it's one of my favorite great American book. novels that, ever right. written. And that's the same 
that's the same same area uh, yep. area and the same uh, kind of um, piece, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that was a horrible book. To, I mean, a brutal book. <laughs> it's but brutal. Wonderful. It is. It's awful. It's brutal. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's next in the category for you in biography? Um, I think I exhausted mine, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bring over one from. So when we talked about Tina, we talked about Coach V Hill. Yeah. So. Coach V. Hill wrote a training book, which would be more under science, but I'm going to pull this over. Okay. Um, it's called uh, Road to the Top. Yes. So most people don't even know it exists because it's never been published by a major publisher. Yeah, I've never so, seen it. I've never seen it anywhere. I've just heard of it. Right. So 2016, Coach V. Hill and I were having lunch at the trials, and we were talking, and I pitched him an idea about writing a book um, with him. And Jack Daniels, the two PhDs that are best coaches in the history of America mm-hmm. uh, from a PhD background. Right. And I and he said, well, I've already written a book. All my ideas are out there. And I was like, what book do you write? And he said, I, I wrote this. He, he wrote down his name and, and his email address. He said, send me, um, send me an email. Send me this amount of money and whatever, <laughs> and, um, and I'll send you a book. So I was like, okay. So I got two books. I gave one to a friend. I bought one. And Coach V. Hill, like, wrote me a letter. Like, we corresponded via email. And, um, Jay, it is literally, like, all the stuff that we think about with running, like, exercise fizz-wise. Yeah. And altitude training. Coach V. Hill wrote about this 30 years ago, and it's all still right. Wow. It's ridiculously good. It is ridiculously amazing. It looks dated. And the information, and but what makes it? Why I would put it under like this sort of autobiography? Right. It is totally Coach V Hill. Oh yeah. It's like you can gen- you can feel the voice. You generous, um, but authoritative. Um, this is the answer. Like there's no there's no gray area. Like I'm not 100 percent sure about this. If it wasn't 100 percent sure, I'm pretty I'm confident he didn't even include it in the book. Right. He's basically like and. The work that you need to do to succeed at a world level is insane. Like the workouts are like leg crushing. Yeah. Like I'm like, there's no way people, but I'm sure all his women and men did right. this, man. Right. It was incredible. That's the kind like, of thing that you, you just realize what the next level is. It's just, it's unbelievable. So weirdly, like when I look at it, having coached people that have won national championships, I'm like blown away yeah. that anyone can do this. Yeah. I don't like, I, I really, I mean, if I want to see this done, I want to see people do these records. I've never seen anything like I've seen people do crazy stuff, but this stuff is beyond crazy. Yeah. 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 Like shockingly insane. I, I mean, pretty Fontaine type. Yeah. Uh, my- mythical things. Right. Start with a four minute mile and then do your workout. Right. Like I, I always go <laughs> t- one Todd. So I'm going to name drop. So Todd Williams and I got to be pretty close. Yeah. I remember. Um, yeah. So we were out at, adidas one time um from my store and todd was the guest so todd and i knew each other so we hung out a lot and um he had brought his like his diary his journal um running logs from when he was on top of his game and he he presented them to like the group that was there but at lunch we were sitting in with just me and him and he like shows me some workouts he was doing repeats at like 402 404 now, Todd never broke four. Holy shit. Now, could he have broken four? Of course. Right. Did he actually do it in a race that's recorded? No. But his workouts, he did multiple repeats under 405. Unbelievable. That's the kind of stuff you're like. And that's why I remember when him and Kennedy raced that two mile. Yeah. That's why when Kennedy struggled, Bob didn't. Or I mean, when Kenny struggled, Todd, Todd didn't. Yeah. 
Todd took over and ran another lap in the lead. If he doesn't do that, I think he actually beats Bob in that race. But he Bob couldn't run that lap. Right. And they wanted to try to break a record, so Todd just kept going. Right. And I really think if Bob would have been forced to take that lap, the pace would have slowed, and I think Todd gets him. Yeah, maybe. Because Todd would have probably realized the pace is slowing and moved ahead like significantly. Ma- made a, right, right. Yeah, he was – I mean, both of those guys were amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, that could transfer or uh, transition us into science. Before we move into the science books, I'm going to just quickly go through, give you my number one in the bio is a book that I don't know if you've read. It's it's kind of a little little known book about a little known American marathoner, but um, book is called A Cold Clear Day. It's the story yeah. of Buddy Edelin. I know him. I do not know the book. Really good book. Uh, okay. It, it's also kind of a no-nonsense kind of depiction, but uh, a really good story. And uh, yeah, he's he's another interesting character. He's a very much a um, uh, kind of like a, a Dick Beardsley kind of character, I think. Uh, yeah. Just very single-minded pursuit. And, you know, was the world record holder in the marathon for a time and had his shot at Olympic glory derailed by, I think, a chronic back injury. And uh, hmm. But a, a really cool story and, and not somebody I was familiar with before I read that's that book. So it's a book by a writer called Frank Murphy. Um, so okay. check that one out. Thank uh, you okay. very much. Let's do, let's do quickly uh, science or training books. Mm-hmm. I had seven or eight here, but I'll, we, we can just go, go through four or five, however many you want to do. You, you had okay. V-Hills. Uh, give me another one there. Okay. So this is uh, – so I started coaching in 1990. Okay. And the first book I pulled pulled out to learn how to coach, mm-hmm. you're, you'll most people will never believe this is where I started. I started with Training Distance Runners by David Martin and Peter Coe. Oh, okay. W- which is taught at a graduate. If you took a graduate degree in training running, this would be the book. You would not get this ever at a like a bachelor's level. This right. is like pretty high end, like complicated. Um, phenomenal and when i started reading it this is i don't understand many things quickly i got it like so i was like oh i sort of understand this with no idea why i just sort of understood it Hmm. and that that informed my early coaching i recognized the workouts were crazy like you just can't yeah no no no, i was coaching high school you can't do that right but that's that set me up that was my basis for moving forward as a coach and i recommend it highly to anyone who wants to sort of get a primer, um, probably an intermediate view of the science of the day that went into informing training. Mm-hmm. And Sebastian, you know, he was, they spoke all the time about his training because his dad was the writer. Right. And his, so Sebastian Co. if the listeners don't know, I'd say probably the top eight, 15 guy ever. Uh, Snell? Maybe you could argue success, Snell. Yeah, success wise, Snell because of his multiple Olympics, yeah, uh, gold medals. What four? Yeah, because he won eight and fifteen twice. Yep, twice. You could argue yeah. Herb Elliott for the fifteen. I think the combination of speed because Snell wasn't as fast as Co. Um, Co was ridiculously fast. Like they yeah, were like if you're going to say combination, yeah, combination eight and fifteen probably. Yeah, combina- combination. I I would say probably Snell's the more accomplished, definitely at the Olympic level. Right. Um, and maybe again, it's recency bias. Although I I listened to Snell speak. No, it probably holds up. Yeah, but um, Co was insanely good. Tiny guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, ridiculously good. Yeah. 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 
I have uh, two that I'll go through just quickly, which are, I think, probably any serious runner who's done a, a lot of reading or, or any kind of reading on, on training type stuff should be on your bookshelf, both of these. Certainly the first one, Daniel's Running Formula. Uh, you mentioned Jack Daniels earlier. That's, um, you know, for anyone interested in exercise physiology and how to apply it to training, that's, uh, that, that's probably the bachelor's level book, like you said. So that's the perfect introduction to how to build a training program, how to incorporate, you know, VO2 max, lactate threshold, those sort of things. And, you know, how to periodize it, how to, you know, train for different events and, and build a peak and, and touching on all those different things. There's a reason why he's the most successful track coach in probably American history. So that's one. The other one is, and I don't know if you were going to touch on this at all, but Lore of Running by Tim Noakes, who is... I don't know, maybe the father of exercise physiology, at least for distance runners, and and a bit of a nut, but has, you know, been shown time and again to have basically his theories have borne out. Um, and he's kind of responsible for what I think is now more or less accepted as the kind of overall structure, the overall model by which we view performance in what he's called the center, what he termed the central governor model. Lore of running is so. A, do you think do, that's a that could be a topic forever? Do you think that is really? Oh, a hundred percent. Do you think that's the only way, or do you think there's an interplay between the lactate threshold model and the central governor model? I think the I think I mean, and this is this is kind of a, a difficult, or or it's you can kind of talk yourself into a circle, but I think the central governor you can make it account for basically anything. So any any other. And, and this is what you get out of reading Noakes's book, of reading Lore of Running, is if you can read it, which it's about a thousand pages and very, very dense. And I've definitely never gotten through the entire thing. But uh, all these different models and all these different physiologic systems that interplay, you know, so when you talk about lactate thresholds, when you talk about, you know, temperature regulation, when you talk about muscular fatigue, uh, all as possible limiters to endurance performance. They're basically, I mean, Noakes would argue that they're all basically input circuits for the central governor, which is, you know, this oh. nebulous thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, within the brain that is, you know, getting the feedback from all of these different systems and synthesizing it into, you know, how you're going to uh, regulate your performance and regulate your your uh, exertion. Interesting. Yeah. So that feeds into a book that I don't want to talk about. Okay. But I'm going to throw. I'm going to throw because it's so esoteric, but it dovetails exactly with that comment. So there's a book, and this is an old book, and it's called Biofeedback and Sports Science. It's considered if it's not on your shelf as a serious, uh, if you're a serious person in this field, yeah, you sort of have this book. Um, it was I don't forget the exact year, but it's basically a collection of uh, scholarly scholarly articles on biofeedback. Mm. And so I think you would love it because it'll fit with the central governor right. concept. I'm ordering that but, right you now. Know, and you're going to read, and it's old, so you're going to probably get like a used copy from like the library sure. of Schenectady or some nonsense. <laughs> but um, be pre- like you got to dig in. I mean, it's not complicated reading, um, but. It's, you know, it's not something like a lay person like would have no, absolutely no interest in right. something that, you know, you really want to try to do, a, you know, dig, dig deep into this, just sort of the rabbit holes it takes you. In. Right. But um, so I agree. Everything you said about Daniels is great. I love the idea. And I, this is why I opposed to Coach Vigil, the art, the idea of writing a book. 
So Coach Veal and Jack Daniels are both PhDs. Mm -hmm. Coach Veal is notoriously one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. And Jack is notoriously prickly. And their writing styles are totally a reflection of that. Jack is very scientific and clinical. Very clinical, Coach, yep. Coach Vehicle, Vihill is very clear, but you get to see – and there's not even, like, say, empathy or compassion, but there's just a softer way that he goes about getting the information out to you. Hmm. Um, here's the other different – when we talked about this with our heroes, Coach Vihill never comes across as caring about money per se like at least my my although he did say send me a check but um you know <laughs> jack has jack has uh or or dr daniels because i don't know him personally although i've coached against him when he was at Cortland and i was at rutgers sure. camden yep. he came back to Cortland for a couple of years yep um before he went out to northern arizona to run that lab yep um and, uh, you know, uh, he's always wanted, you know, to make money off of this. We share a publisher. So both Human Kinetics mm -hmm. has published Daniels, all the formulas, the editions. The first year Running Anatomy came out in 2010. Running Anatomy was the number one selling book in the U.S. for Human Kinetics. And Running Formula 2, I think, was like number two. And mm -hmm. the Lure run, Running was number three. Right. Right. So isn't that fascinating that you just we were just talking about this? Yeah. And I took a I took a screenshot of when I got the email because <laughs> I was like, you got to be effing kidding me. I mean, these guys are these guys are giants in yes. the field. And Noakes is the the lore of running is almost in, like you said, impenetrable if you want to try to read the whole thing. But if you want to cherry pick topics. Yeah. It's great. You can just dive into it. No, it's right. It's more like a textbook than something yes. you would sit down and, and thumb through, certainly. I'm going to give you a book that's better if you're interested in training. Okay. Not necessarily the, just science as a whole, but training mm -hmm. that's massive. It's called Running Science by Owen Anderson. He's a PhD also. Yep. He hits this spot where he's exhaustive like Noakes. Mm -hmm. He's got a nice way of writing like Vihill. And he's got the very straight science like Daniels. So I think it's, to me, it's one of the best books on running training that you can possibly buy and put in your library. Hmm. Okay. And yep. he's really smart. I think he wrote for Runner's World. He would, yeah, he would he put in. But the articles were way beyond what most people – I mean he wrote them for the public, but they were just awesome. Right. I have two more in this category that I wanted to touch on. My number two is a book called Run, The Mind-Body Method of Running by Feel by Matt Fitzgerald. Um, Dude, that is – I'm reading that right now. Oh, seriously? You, do you like it? So I'm a little bit in. I love it. Uh, you do, Okay. Because that fits right with the central governor idea. Well, that's what I was going to say is that yes. that to me, you know, you read Noakes and, and you get the theory and everything else. And then what Fitzgerald has done is basically distilled it and said, all right, so this is the theory – uh, and then this is how you actually apply it to your training. Right. Um, and yeah, I found that book to be, how far in are you? Oh, not far. I just started a few days ago, oh, like 40 okay. pages. Yeah, no, yeah. I, th I think, I mean, you may disagree with some of the workouts that he proposes in there, but okay. I, I found them to be, I, I, I love that book. I, I constantly refer back to it. So Jay, this is an interesting part and you have, you've opened it up by saying that. So I wear so many different hats in the running world Yeah, that I, I get – but in the end, I'm a coach. Yeah. And I struggle when I read things that are super bright 
but don't necessarily apply and the runners, your runners don't really run better. Hmm. So there's a couple people in our, in our universe who are super smart, have written either books or articles, have podcasts, whatever. But in the end, their athletes aren't really that great. Right. They don't go very fast. And I met a guy who worked for, who wrote a book for human kinetics, who worked as a strength conditioning coach for a couple pro teams and coached track and field at a college a high level college, like one of the most famous schools in the country mm-hmm. and wasn't, wasn't particularly successful, super bright knows everything about what he writes. Um, but it, it doesn't translate in the end. My job as a coach is whatever event I'm coaching you in, you need to perform your best right. in that event. What does that mean for sprinting? It means I have to get the maximum velocity as quick as possible, sustain it for as long as possible, and then slow down the least amount. Right. For middle distance running, you don't have to get there. You don't have to get to max velocity ever. You have to get to max velocity that you can hold for the distance of that race. Right. Right. How do you do that? So these are quite like javelin. How do I translate rotational forces into driving a javelin as far as possible when I'm running straight down a runway? I turn, do my crossovers, turn around straight, plant my leg. What is the timing of opening up my shoulder, my hips, and my shoulder that's throwing the javelin? Like, there's all these factors. So we have to come up with, how do I get to the end? Right. Okay. A lot of these people who we know, and they're famous, don't ever get to the end. They got every (laughs) step along the way, but the end doesn't happen. So there's a guy that I know, and everyone tells me how smart this guy is. And I look at the results of his team, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. There's a disconnect somewhere. So maybe he doesn't have the personality. Maybe he doesn't have the ability to translate that information to them. Right. So with Fitzgerald, and I don't know if this is accurate. I don't know the man, and I don't know anybody's coached. I mean, I, I sort of feel the same way. Like, you're super smart. You're able to explain things. Like, I get it. This is a really good concept. But where's this? You're not getting a whole lot of juice out of these squeezings. Hmm. Interesting. And I don't know if that's accurate. I don't have any idea if that's accurate. And I don't know if he considers himself a coach with a capital C or a coach with a small C. There's a dramatic difference. With a capital C, you're adding every element that comes in. the psychology, physiology, um, biomechanics. Um, I'm not a nutrition guy, so I have to take that out for me. But some people put in nutrition. There's a lot that goes into being a big C. Right. To be a little C coach, you know a couple things about a couple things, and you can, you know, transmit to your athletes and you have a great time right i always put myself in the big c category i don't know what these other these guys may look at themselves as writers i don't look at myself as a writer i look at myself as a coach who's written about track and field and running right yeah so that's that's my little little aside yeah that's an interesting uh question i i okay i mean yeah he's a big i mean his other books he's written on nutrition as well yeah um which i haven't read yeah, no, it'd be it'd be an interesting. Has he been on your podcast? No. You were you are you thinking about reaching out to him? I, I'd yeah, be I'd like fascinated to. to listen. I'd like to. Yeah, tell me what you think when you're done with this book because uh, it was it was a big one for me. Absolutely. What else do you have in this category? I have one more. So we went through Daniels. We went through the Co book. We went to um, oh well. So I'm always gonna you know like I think my book mm-hmm. is is good. I actually. It's weird. I wasn't going to include it just because I didn't want to, you know, embarrass you. But <laughs> right, no, my sec- my second book is really good, but the problem is that 
when we first came out with the illustrations that highlighted all the muscles engaged in the strength training in 2010, it was unique. Right. So, we, I mean, the book got translated in 18 languages, sold, I mean, ludicrous amounts of running. We sold a ton. The second book, I revamped all the text chapters mm -hmm. and are really good for a primer for someone who wants to learn a little more than just the basics. Right. The illustrations, though, are dated. They're 10 years old, and we did some new ones, but on the whole, whatever. And I tried to keep with generic strength training, nothing like I would do now. Right. Because it makes it easier for people. It's, it's harder to really get the nuances of some of the movement stuff that I do now. So that's the shortcoming in the second book. But if you put the two together, I had the text chapters. The, te the text chapters in the second book are fantastic. Thanks. And well, you, you edited a couple, right? I, yeah. Well, I don't know if edited is the right word, but yeah, I looked well, at them. Well, <laughs> you reviewed them. Yeah. I think, Jay, I really think like for – so a lot of this stuff gets complicated, not because the material is complicated, but because the writer – the person writing it knows their stuff, but they're not a writer. Right, right, right. So then it gets complicated. You're like, well, what do they mean by that? I'm not quite sure. They don't see So the second time I really understood I have to be able to get this information in a way that can be used. Yeah. And that's – so I spent all my time working on the text chapter. So I really like that. Yeah. The other book – this is a weird story – is so The Running Rewired by Jay DeCherry. Okay. I haven't read that one. So Jay is super bright. He's a physical therapist out in Bend, Oregon. He has a lab. We don't have a great personal relationship due to certain things. It's, <laughs> I don't even know if Jay would give a shit who I am, but we've actually communicated via email it did not end well. It was really bizarre. And it wasn't me. You know me. I'm about the nicest guy ever. I don't think he understood me. But long story, he's really bright. And his so he wrote a book that came out right after Running Anatomy. It was called Anatomy for Runners. And it got it got stomped out by my book. Like it might, I think he sold I mean, he probably has a, a garage full. I mean it's a good book. He's super bright, but not it didn't do anything. But he wrote this running rewire book, came out right before Running Anatomy Two, and it's a great book. Okay. Yep, I would recommend it highly to someone who's looking for exercise. I think my book and his book would be perfect together. Nice. The last one I had in this category was a book that I know you like a lot, uh, which was Endure by Alex Hutchinson. Uh, so on my list, it was the next one. Yeah, he had, we had Alex on the show uh, when that came out. And that was great. That was a really good podcast. He's, he's such a personable guy. And uh, yeah, just a really inquisitive guy, you know, obviously brilliant, also a PhD in, I think, astrophysics or something like that. But uh, yeah, just really knows his stuff and uh, a very, very good writer, longtime writer for Outside Mag and uh, running, uh, Runner's World, I guess. Yeah. And a very good runner. Yeah, Olympic level runner for for Canada. Yeah, um, yeah, oh, that's a that's a great book. Do you want to do fiction <laughs> for like five sure. minutes? Yeah, fiction is is definitely the the. I mean, there are plenty of running books, but uh, in terms of fiction or novels, but uh, I think most of them are probably not worth reading. Uh, but there are a few classics that I I think we should probably touch on. What do you got on your fiction list? So. I'm going to go with a total outsider that you've probably never heard of, oh, okay. but is is fantastic and was turned into a movie that's fantastic. Okay. However, Forrest the Gump? movie, no, the movie has a different <laughs> name than the book. Oh, all right. Okay. So the title of the the novel was um, Life at These Speeds. Never heard of it. It's it's, it's odd and quirky and great. And the movie was called One Mile to You with Billy Crudup. Billy Crudup playing another runner? 
he played the coach. Oh, okay. So there's a connection there. And what's really cool, in the movie, the protagonist has a, like an article in a school newspaper written at him, mm-hmm. written about him. And the title of the article is Life at These Speeds, oh, which okay. references the novel title. So the movie's really like it's quirky and odd and has Billy Crudup in it. So, you know, it's clearly quirky. Yes, and odd. exactly. Um, he runs barefoot on the on a grass track when him and the kid are <laughs> the kid runs in spikes to do his training runs. Like the whole thing looked like it really needed just a running expert to come in and be like, this is a disaster. But um, it's it, I enjoy it. I really do. And All the right. book was the book was unique. And so a little bit background here. So I've studied since I'm writing a novel, I've studied the literature, the fiction in running. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a sorry lot. <laughs> it is. A, and so so this book, even though it's got major flaws in certain areas, I give it a four star rating for uniqueness. I mean, the they had to change the plot in the up uh, the whole end scene in the movie because in the book, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and then they put it the way they did. The movie was traditional. And you, when I don't want to spoil it, so I won't tell you. OK, um, but I totally would recommend reading it. I think you'll think you'll probably be like, dude, it's another like making me read a book I don't like. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can clearly see my enthusiasm because other than the, the standard books, which we're going to talk about next. Right. Um, I really liked it because it was gave me something. It was unique. Good. Awesome. I'll give you one that's a little bit off the beaten path as well, and then we can just blow through quickly the the standard ones, like you said. Yeah. A book called The Other Kingdom by Victor Price. This is uh, a, yeah, I've heard of that. It's like 50 years old or so. It was written in the mid-60s yes. and takes place in England or Ireland. Now I don't remember. Okay. But uh, it's it's an actually, it's a nice, like we were talking about the mental aspect. I mean, it's, it's you know, fairly standard in terms of the, the characterizations and stuff, but the examination of the internal... Uh, struggle at times is really interesting. So that's a that's a fun one that you may not have read before. So what's it with fifty years ago with English people writing books about running? Because uh, the loneliness of the long distance runner. Sure. Is is it what I have on my list? Well, I mean, um, you know, track and field in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, I mean, you know, Bannister. Yeah, Bannister. Exactly. We talked briefly earlier about boxing and and horse racing so boxing and horse racing were the 20s and 30s and i think track and field probably was the 40s through 60s and then you know now it's uh you know football or american football or an mma yeah exactly yeah yeah loneliness Um, and the long distance runner obviously was on there that's 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 like the catcher in the rye for distance runners yes and do you know do you know that bell and sebastian did a song called the loneliness of the middle distance runner oh really it has no connection really to running at all, and it's actually not a very good song. The melody's fine, the lyrics blow like they make no sense. And it, I, I don't know, Bell and Sebastian sort of atmospheric. It sounds like them, yeah. but I wouldn't spend my time looking it up on YouTube. I think Iron Maiden had a song called "The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner." They a bunch of uh, I think um, Fugazi did as well. Oh, like wow. A bunch is yeah. This made a big impact on those uh, misguided youth of our age. Well, right? and yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> and that's what the, the protagonist in that book, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. He was a, what was he called? A barstool boy? Like he was in like a juvenile reform. He was in a reform. Yeah, exactly. Like a, barstool, right? a juvie hall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, that's a good, that's a great story. Classic for sure. Uh, the other ones I had on my list were Again to Carthage and Once a Runner. Once a, once a Runner being I the, yes. the, the, the pre, I mean, 
like you say, the, it's pro, it's not great writing. Certainly nobody would teach it in a, you know, college level English class, but it is without a doubt the best fictional depiction of, I would say collegiate running, but just running in general and the, you know, the single mindedness of pursuit, basically. I, I, we've talked about this book multiple times. I can I have quote a, this book a, all day long. I have a signed copy. My buddy Scott has hung out with John L. Parker multiple times down in Chapel Hill. Yep. Um, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I've worked, is... I've worked camp, camps with him. He's a nut. <laughs> <laughs> the book is poorly written, but it's it just gets that thing. It's brilliant. Whatever. Yeah, it is. It just works on a super high level. He just got it. Have you read Again to Carthage, the follow-up? I won't read it. I, I, you've told me it's not great. And I don't want to put myself through reading his writing. Yeah. That isn't that without a great story. Right. Like I'm only going to go through it for once a runner. Now, uh, I, I will say I will. Right. It, and, and I don't know if I would love it now. I, I, and I, did, I, I shouldn't say that I, I didn't love it the first time around either. Right. It's, it's the same kind of writing. He's not, like we said, he's not a great writer and the story itself is, it's a bit of a mess, but it hit me at the right time. It's, it's, um, you know, it, it follows the the same protagonist, Quentin Cassidy, after he's kind of given up running and gone to law school and become a lawyer. And, and now he's, you know, coming back to the sport because he's kind of searching for something. And it, it kind of hit me at the right time of my life where I could identify with kind of, you know, having some faded dreams and kind of moving on to the next phase of your life and, you know, reaching back and, and looking for something to kind of hold on to. Uh, so at the time that it came out, which was probably about 10 or 15 years ago now, maybe less, it was it, it came along at the right time for me to hit me emotionally. You know, it's not anything to compare to to the original. And, and if you don't want to sully the memories of the original, then that's fine. Got it. So there's two asides here. So going back to Bannister, you know, the band that uh, were the album that I'm getting finished up now is yeah, called the my, the bandit, right so we're almost done so we're putting the final touches on in the studio we clearly we're not going in the studio right but the en- engineer is doing that so we should have it out it's, it sounds great it's going to be fun and uh, i have another project i'm working with that i'll share with you another time but uh it's really cool it's uh, a guy a four different artists are working on the same song that i wrote and one of them just he was he created the melody and played guitar on a song that was in the top 10 on like the hip hop charts. Oh, wow. No, serious. Like, like juice world. And, um, do you know that name? No. Like some serious hip hop artists were on this chance. The rapper that one I know. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. So it's a really cool project. It's going to go for charity. Oh, so awesome. there's a foundation of a, yeah, and I'll explain that to you in a personal conversation or when it comes out. And then this book. So do you mind if I read you this passage and tell me this gives you tingles at all? Yeah, go. Okay. So down the home stretch of Franklin Fields track, 10,000 fans screaming from the sheer excitement caused by a close race. I imagine that they are actually cheering for me, not my team, not my college, but me. I believe they understand what I have done to put myself in this spot to win. I believe that they had watched me log all those training runs in the heat and humidity of July and August, that they had been at the track to watch me complete one dizzying track workout after another, that they sympathized with me as I ate healthy food like asparagus and quinoa (laughs) and ingested countless energy supplements that tasted nothing like the flavors listed on the package and had the consistency of buttermilk and or chalk. (laughs) 
<laughs> I do believe that they believe in me, my suffering, and only want me to win. This drives me to win it for them, my 10,000 new best friends. This is my dream. So I lock onto her 800-meter ru- runner's right hand, the one with the precious cargo, the red and blue baton, the pen relays baton, anticipating its arrival like a high school senior awaits the arrival of his or her college letter of acceptance so I can hurdle into the future. Mine being four laps, the most important four minutes of my life, and to live my dream. Nice. Not bad, huh? No, I like it. Yeah. So that starts off one of the chapters uh, of the book, the novel. So I had gotten, I sent it away to, I hired a freelance editor, and she sent me back half of the manuscript I sent her. And she's like, <laughs> great, you got half of a book. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, what? It was thoroughly intimidating and demoralizing. Um, but I've been able to dig myself out and um, really start working on it again with the pandemic being locked in. So yeah, I've, yeah. Spent a lot of, I've spent most of my time either researching or writing. That's great. That's great. And raising kids. Before we go, plug the seminar that you're doing. So uh, May 16th, virtual seminar. It's for the National Strength Conditioning Association. Um, I can send you the info uh it's like a Zoom conference. I think people have to register and blah, blah, blah. But I'm really excited about it. So I'm going to be presenting on – this is crazy. I'm presenting on sprinting. Oh, nice. Yeah. So basically how to achieve maximum velocity via exercises and drills. But what's really cool is I use sensor data, which doesn't exist in the big picture world, to come up with a lot of hypothesis that we're going to try to debunk some of the theories about what's out there about sprinting. Oh, cool. And honestly, Jay, like – this doesn't seem very complicated. Sprinting is pretty easy. Like, I, I don't know. Like, like you get someone who can do this and then there's very clear, like the angles of the blocks should be right, how right. they come out. Like everything is there. Like if you're not getting told this as a, as a national class or world-class sprinter, there's a massive disconnect because all the, all the information exists. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. Send me the information. We'll link to it in the show notes. And uh, dude, thanks so much. This was really fun. I'm gonna it was probably really have to split fun. it in a half, but uh, it was really awesome. It was great. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good talking to you. Tell Jody and the kids today. We'll do same. And uh, stay safe. And hopefully, uh, we'll be hope- hopefully we'll be able to see each other sometime soon. <laughs> exactly. See you, man. See you, dude. Uh, everybody out there, oh. thanks for listening. And until next time in the pain cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up The years have been long and tough But I'm not dead Happy now just to spend Some time with friends And have a roof above my head I'm not jaded Just been faded Like a good old pair of jeans Rusted like a proud old car That's drove a little too far And seen too much rain but long ago, as a child, I look about the night sky in wild wonderment. And ride the bus and feel upset to think of all the years I'd have to go through there. I was still young. I was still